We're live on Instagram? Are we live? Excellent. We're I'm, live, Andrew. We're live, bud. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. Who would have thought? Not Who me. Thought? Not me. <laughs> oh. Doug. Oh, perfect. They were waited, they waiting were with bated breath. Just for our arrival. Just in time. JT just in time. Oh, oh, perfect. Justin Timberlake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I knew we had a wide reaching audience. This creative is pretty impressive. Creative Jim. <laughs> it's not Creative Jim. <laughs> all right. So we're ready to go on all platforms now. Is that right, Doug? Oh, I think Kenzie so. Blevins joined. Oh, Kenzie. perfect. Well, uh, we've got a lot of questions to get through, so I'm just going to jump right in. And uh, Jared, if you want to, if anybody makes a specific remark that you want to announce or whatever, that's fine well, with me. We better but... introduce ourselves first. Oh, absolutely. So welcome. Welcome to Sailorville Students. This is our little version of Hot Ones, uh, the show with hot questions and even hotter wings. Uh, this is a parody of a of a YouTube show out there called Hot Ones that you I've been already tell by the ripoff. Oh yeah, it's a blatant ripoff. But uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and so I'm excited uh, to do it. And um, usually on the show, they interview a celebrity while eating increasingly spicier usually? wings. And uh, today we have our very own celebrity here. This is John Nemers. Thank you for joining us today on Hot Ones. Well. Uh, yeah, Andrew, I appreciate you having me on. You're a celebrity in my mind as well. Thank you, bud. So John <laughs> is a father of four. He is our evangelism director here at Sailorville Church, and he's also um, just an incredible basketball player. Uh, rocks these. Tearing it up on the pass. Sailorville basketball court. Uh, it's incredible. So... Um, First of all, before we jump into the questions, yeah. how are you with spicy food, John? Uh, you know, I married a woman that is from Florida. She has no Cajun heritage in her blood, <laughs> but she enjoys spicy things. And uh, as soon as I found that out about her, I was very excited, Andrew, because I also enjoy spicy things. That's and uh, I dip my toe in the old uh, pepper of doom every once in a while myself, so. <laughs> We'll give it a go. What's the pepper of doom? I don't know. That's just I'm. I'm assuming that was one of the names uh -oh. on here. The pepper. No, this is garlic reaper. Oh yeah. So that's gonna. We're saving that one for later. But that's the uh, hottest. That that's the hottest we're gonna venture today. Uh, but we'll get into that shortly. Uh, but we're gonna start off with something a little more classic, a little uh, milder. Personally, I do okay with spicy food, or I should say, I used to do okay with spicy food, and then I married. Jeannie, who is a Brazilian, and people think, oh, Brazilians, they love spicy food. Not always true. Uh, Brazil's a big place, and there's some people that do <laughs> not like love it. spicy food, and she is one of those. She can eat, like, mild salsa and be, like, oh. sweating and dying. So uh, ever since we got married, I have had very little exposure to very spicy food. And so I'm a little nervous, John. Sweet I'm man. already sweating here, yeah, but what else that. is That's new? Good. The students are used to that. They're very used to that. So. We've had like the opposite experience then. Yes, it's that is good. exactly what we've had. Getting to know you better. So uh, we're going to be taking some bites of wings covered in increasingly spicier sauce. We're going to start off with a classic hot sauce uh, from Hot Ones. Uh, this 
I have no idea where it ranks on the Scoville level, but it it's a, a very tasty. I would I would compare it to like a Tabasco sauce sort of thing. So, Dig in. Uh, do we want to do we want to like Cheers. ding our wings or ding uh, dong ding? That's coronavirus, man. Oh, I'm gonna be touching your we're stuff. We're fine. Mmm. Okay, so we don't have to eat the whole wing though, right? No, you just have take to a take bite. a bite. But for these early wings, I might, I might enjoy the whole wing, you know? It's not bad. There's not a chance I'm gonna finish the whole wing once we get to the garlic reaper sauce. It's already a little hot. It's already a little cold though. I mean, not the, not the sauce, but the wing itself. Well, it took us a few minutes to yeah. get set up. Unfortunately. Well, fantastic wings from Smokey D's Barbecue. Mm. Smokey D's Barbecue, shout out. Support your local businesses. Even in this time of need, hmm. I'm gonna throw mine away. Okay. I have my towel here too. Well done, we came prepared. What towel? So, question number one. Mm -hmm. We've come here today to discuss some tough questions about God and his word. But these questions could be completely irrelevant to somebody if they don't even believe that God exists. Mm -hmm. So my question for you, John, is can we know for sure that God exists and uh, if so, how, how do you prove something like that? Well, Andrew, that's a great question. As was this idea and these wings, great, great ideas. Uh, it is a good, oh, I almost touched my eye right there. Almost my, made the first don't mistake. Touch don't your face. ever touch your face. Not only is that bad for Corona, <laughs> but if you get some of the sauce in your eye, your eyes, you're, you're blind. You're going blind for sure. <laughs> Uh, it is a good question, um, and I think I might surprise some people when I say, can you prove the existence of God to yourself? Yes. Can you prove the existence of God to someone else? Uh, no. I would say no. Um, because evidence is virtually impossible to prove, and I'll, I'll explain that here in a little bit. Uh, but the evidence that you as a Christian or me personally can be confident in is uh, my own personal experience of God and my own personal uh, experience being my salvation and how God actually saved me and changed me. I don't have, I don't have a, a logical explanation for what took place in my life when I was 18 years old when I became a Christian. So I was one way and then I became a Christian, my experience with God, and I completely changed, right? And so I look at that, and I, I find that sometimes apologists, they'll, they'll shy away from personal experiences about God, and it's sometimes that's wise, uh, because you can't, you can't prove a personal experience to somebody else, right? Like, you could tell me that you uh, jumped off a building and started flying, uh, and I wasn't there, so I couldn't disprove it, but I wouldn't believe you. Right for probably good reason. Yeah. Um, so you can't really prove a a uh, a personal experience of somebody else, but uh, it's a really good evidence for. It's actually the only concrete evidence that you have as a Christian is your own personal uh, uh, life and your own personal experience of God changing. Um, you know your life, and and I honestly think this is huge for high schoolers specifically, just because they. They're about to go to university, uh, especially the seniors, and they're about to hear a whole lot of things that may be confusing to them. Um, and if they are Christian, I, I've never been one to shy away from hard questions. So when your professor or something like that is telling you something that uh, you know may be contrary to your worldview, uh, don't shy away from that. Uh, 
engage in those types of questions, and at the same time, hold as an anchor, as your concrete proof, uh, your experience of God, your salvation, to say, look, even if things are questionable right now, like I don't quite understand why God does this or what's going on here. What I do know for sure is that I was one way, and after God saved me, I am completely different. That is the one thing that I can hold on to concretely. So can you prove it to yourself? Yes. Um, but that being said, I think, I think the question should, shouldn't be, uh, does evidence prove the existence of God? But rather, um, is there evidence beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that would lead you to believe in God's existence? Right? I mean, anybody who's watched true crime you know, documentaries, everybody's watched Making a Murderer and stuff like that. You always see in the courtroom, they're always trying to give you evidence to, beyond a shadow of a doubt, prove his guilt, right? So if Andrew murdered somebody and I'm trying to accuse him of, of murder and I bring some evidence to the table, uh, even if it's really good evidence, like let's say I bring uh, your fingerprints are there and I brought a video of you shooting somebody. That's pretty good evidence. But, but it could have been, I could have been framed. Somebody could have tampered with the video. That's right. They could have planted my fingerprints there somehow. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's, all, it's, not, it's not necessarily provable. And that's what I, I mean by it's not necessarily provable to show somebody that God exists. But what you can do, just like in a court case, you can show the accumulative evidence to show somebody beyond a reasonable doubt that this God exists. And obviously, I wouldn't be here if I wasn't in the... Uh, um, the camp that said that, yeah, the evidence, when you look around at the world that we live in, the evidence is clearly in favor of the Christian God. Um, and we don't obviously have time to go through all of these evidences. Uh, so I think, I think, I, I would be willing, if you would be willing, uh, to hand out some resources for you guys to go through a lot of these evidences. Uh, but I think some of them that just jump off at the top of my head is like, um, the question of how did we get here in the first place? You know, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, the fine-tuning of the universe, how when you look around at the universe, it seems to be fine-tuned or designed for the existence of humanity. Uh, the question of meaning and purpose, how we, we know that we have purpose in this life, and, and really, if there is no God, then you can't make sense of that. There is no ultimate purpose, because eventually everything's going to expand and uh, cool down and disappear, and there's no purpose. It's meaningless. Um, morality is the same category, um, where if there is no moral creator, uh, standard, essentially, then you can't make sense of, of morality and objective rights and wrongs. Um, uh, you can look at Jesus and how he really, he's the only answer to our moral problem. You can look at the resurrection, how there was a true historical figure who really rose from the dead, or at least that seems to be the case. The evidence is pointing in that direction, which that's a, you know, a, a conundrum. Like, okay, what do you do with that? If a guy rose from the dead, that's pretty important. Yeah. Uh, the reliability of scripture, textual criticism is what that's called, um, and how this, this book seems to be the way that this creator has revealed himself to humanity and is trying to get at us in, in certain ways to get us to understand something, essentially uh, how we can come into relationship with him. So uh, at the end of the day, I, I would say that uh, yes, you can be confident in the fact that God exists based upon your, your personal experience of God. 
and your changed life. And then you can be confident in uh, showing that the accumulative evidence of God's existence that we you know, kind of just barely hit on there all points to the fact that this God really does exist. Uh, I like to think of it as, you know, it's like atheism is coming to a court case with one shred of evidence when Christianity is kind of coming to a court case with a truckload of evidence. Awesome. And maybe we can attach some of those resources that yeah. you were referring to in uh, this video so that people who are interested can look a little bit more on, on some of those yeah. arguments uh, for the existence of God, if that's something that interests you. Well, we're going to move on to the next question and therefore the next sauce. Uh, we've got we the go. Heartbeat Hot Sauce from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Uh, this is one of my personal favorite sauces, a pineapple habanero flavor. So, Ooh, um, pineapple. This, yeah. this can't be that hot then, right? Well, that hence the habanero. But oh, habanero. Never heard of it. We're not going to ding the wing. Oh, all right. oh that's okay. Oh, you already bit into it. Ah, okay. Social distance ding. Social <laughs> distance. That's not too bad. Yeah. What do you think? It's just a nice, oh, nice. It's a slow burn. It's got a nice, oaky afterbirth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Oh, pretty Very, good. Mm. I was gonna take two bites. Two bites? Is that fair? Two bites is good. Okay. Um, so, well, now I just took a bite, and now I've got to ask the. I got to learn how to do this. We have our no. notes here, so we're you know we're not trying to pull one over on you. I, I the one lie I've always told myself is I will remember. So I always bring notes everywhere I go. <laughs> All right. So this next question, with the heat of the wing kind of ramping up the heat of the question have here. Take, oh, have you taken a drink yet? I haven't. Okay. Are you waiting for me to? You, you can I mean, take I didn't want to be the first one. Uh, you can take a drink. If, if you, you take a drink, me. I'll take a drink. Well, we, we better wait. Okay. okay. <laughs> See how far we can go. Okay. So what do you do? with the people who have never had a chance to hear the gospel. I mean, there were thousands of years before Christ was even born. There's people even now living in secluded tribes, places throughout the world, um, even earlier in our history, uh, before the invention of the internet and means of travel where people were able to get to and from places easily. Um, there are many people throughout history that have no clue who Jesus is, what he did, uh, so what do you do with that? Are, are people that have never heard the gospel going to hell? Or uh, how do you sort of think through that conundrum? Yeah, um, and I think you're playing a little bit of a trick on me because I don't think that's the hottest sauce. But from my perspective, I think that this is probably the hardest question that Christianity has to answer for uh, um, what's going on here in this question. It's a hard question, and I, I mean, just being honest, I've struggled through this question as to what is going on. It seems unfair to us from a human perspective uh, that God would do this. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I brought my notes because I, I, I got to think through this as well. Um, but I think in order to answer, to preface the answer to this question, I think you have to start with an understanding of who God is. And I'm going to be saying that a lot. Again, if there is really good evidence for um, this, this God's existence, which I know we didn't hit on everything, but we did mention a lot of these, and, and there is, there's really good evidence that this is, a, this is a holy, morally perfect, good creator. Uh, there's a lot of good evidence for that. And if that's the case, then anytime someone rejects this God, 
right? Anytime someone rejects him by sinning, this God, because he is a just God, because he is omnibenevolent and all good God, a just judge, he has an obligation, uh, he has a, by, by necessity, to punish that wrongdoing, right? Um, this is why I love R.C. Sproul um, once said, or he said oftentimes, that anybody who dies and goes to heaven receives mercy, but anybody who dies and goes to hell receives justice, right? So, so nobody is receiving uh, uh, injustice when they go to hell because this is what we rightfully deserve when we reject our, uh, our, our creator. But the sticky part, the sticky part in this whole uh, uh, question is that it doesn't seem fair, right? It doesn't seem fair to send someone to hell uh, that has never heard the gospel. And there's a couple of schools of thought um, and I'll, I'll just share mine and I'll kind of touch on the other school of thought. Um, mainly, when you look at Romans 1 and Romans 2, uh, you have Romans 1 talking about the, uh, well, Romans 1 and 2 talking about the, the general revelation of God and how in Romans 1, because of his creation, it's obvious to us that this God exists. Uh, in Romans 2, uh, because of this uh, uh, moral law that even if you don't have, he's talking about the Gentiles who don't have the law, so they don't, there's no Bible, there's no understanding of Christianity. They have a moral law ingrained inside of them. Um, because of this, everyone on earth has a knowledge of their creator and is therefore accountable to this creator. Right? There, as Paul says in chapter 1 of Romans, there is no excuse. Humans have no excuse. Uh, and at the same time, um, the Bible seems pretty clear that, that no one, no matter what, uh, can gain entrance into heaven without making some sort of decision about Jesus. Right? And I'm getting that out of John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Absolutely no one comes to the Father except through me. Um, you know, John, John 10, 9, where Jesus says, you know, he's saying, I am the door. And he uses these parables and these, these kind of pictures a lot. Like, I am the gate. I am the door. Uh, I am the living water. And, and no one's coming to the Father. No one's going to get saved unless they come through me. So it seems extremely exclusive towards other beliefs. Uh, that somebody could have without making a decision towards Jesus. So I, I find that very hard to get around that. Um, but there are other schools of thought uh, that godly Christians uh, that I respect deeply hold to, which is that a remote people group, let's say, I don't know why we always say they're in the desert or an island, but they're just always in some island that we've never <laughs> noticed before. And it's like they're just there and they've never heard the gospel. Um, let's just say that uh, so this perspective is that they can look at general revelation. They can look at, um, they can look at creation, and they can look at their own uh, moral law inside them, and they can, uh, um, uh, they can theologize or, or, or uh, uh, come to an understanding of this God. Theologize? Is that a word? I think it is. Okay. I'm pretty Just sure making it is. sure. I'm pretty, I, got <laughs> made, I get made fun of because I'm a lot like... I think I'm a lot like George Bush. I just say say something with confidence and and just run with it. Just run with <laughs> see it. if anybody says anything. Just see what happens. Somebody look it up. Theologize. I think it's a word. It's the act of doing theology. It's the act of looking and, and understanding something about God. Okay, so these people, we fallen. I'm they following. Have, they I'm have, tracking. They're tracking. So they can they can have an understanding of God that He is a holy God. And because of their moral law ingrained inside them, they don't meet that God's standard. 
And uh, they recognize that there's nothing that they could personally do to reconcile this relationship, and they need that this creator to reconcile it for them. Uh, and so what this school of thought would say is that that alone is enough to have them look at their situation and their need for a Christ-like figure, even though they don't know anything about Jesus, a Christ-like figure, and that is enough to save them. Similar to people in the Old Testament who didn't, who didn't know the name of Jesus, but they're looking to a Christ-like figure to save them. Um, I, uh, so, so again, they wouldn't say that it wasn't necessary for Jesus to die on the cross. They would say that, but they would say that just because they don't know about Jesus doesn't mean that his, his sacrifice wasn't sufficient for them. Um, I, I do... I do uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I like that idea. I mean, I'm kind of, uh, you know, it's a noble position, but I just don't know personally if I could get around how clear it seems in Scripture that you have to make a decision about Jesus himself, right? Um, and so I find it really hard to get around those John 14, 6 uh, verses. Um, but I remember that, remember that God, God is a God who desires all of humanity to come to an understanding of who he is. And so the way I kind of reconcile it is by bringing in other scripture of what we can learn about God. Uh, so for instance, um, uh, Whenever someone desires, truly desires to come to understand who God is, they find out, right? God reveals himself to them. So you can think about Cornelius, um, the Roman centurion, who uh, he was not a believer, but he was praying and he was desiring to come an understanding of who Jesus was or who, who, who God was, essentially. And uh, Peter knocks on his door, right? And yeah. so God brought that about. Uh, the three wise men. You know, these guys didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know the Messiah, but they desired to. So God gave them a, 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 their own star right? yeah. to, to bring them to the Messiah. So this is a theme in Scripture, and I think it's a theme in history when you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, Muslims in the Middle East that uh, they may be doubting their faith or whatnot, and they're really thinking through who really is their creator. And you hear story after story after story about them having a dream to go to this house down the street, and they knock on this house, and lo and behold, it's a Christian underground church. And they hear the gospel, and they get saved. Um, so that's how I reconcile it. If, if, if a remote people group in some island somewhere truly does theologize, uh, about their existence and about who God is uh, and about their moral conundrum in a sense, and they desire that relationship with that God to be reconciled, then, uh, then God will make that happen. Yeah, I think I personally take a lot of solace in what we know about who God is and that he's a just God. And I think of uh, the verse that says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Yeah. And so... I know for a fact, even if I'm not sure all the ins and outs of how it's going to work out, I know for a fact that God is going to be just right. and he's a righteous judge and he's not going to just throw somebody into hell right. uh, who well, didn't deserve to be there. there. We're going to get to that question. Yeah, we are going to talk a little bit more about <laughs> hell here in a minute, which will be lots of fun. But first, um, we're going to move on to the next sauce. Cool. This is the... Uh, Tamale Pekka, sweet oh. tamarind and smoky chili hot sauce. It's a tamale. So it says medium spicy on here. 
I will tell you right now, that is a lie. That <laughs> a is lie from the pit a of lie hell. from the pit of hell. I've tried this, and it is quite more than a medium spicy. So ding it. Let's uh, we're dinging. Let's ding it, buddy. Ding. Oh, air ding. Air Sorry. ding. Okay. Air ding. I the Corona kids. ding. I have kids at home, man. I gotta oh. stay safe. Amen. Mmm. I've never tried this on a wing before. It's very good. Oily. You can even tell. Yeah. It's, it's an oil base. So, at first, I didn't taste any heat at all. It's, yeah, it's creeping now up a little. Now I'm starting to creep. Yeah, it's starting to creep, creep. This is a, it's a nice flavor, though. You take two bites? I'm taking another bite. I'm a little, uh, uh, ah, never mind. I can't think of the word right now. Competitive. It's the heat. Competitive. The heat's getting to them already. <laughs> That's the point of uh, okay. eating the wings. Clouds your judgment a little oh, bit. If By I the time we get to the end, John's going to be spitting heresy. I'm not going to know. I'm going to be talking <laughs> about works leading to salvation. And oh, my goodness. Yep. You taking a drink, bud? I don't need one, but do you, no. you need one? No, you take one if you need one. Oh, I don't need one. I was just seeing if you did. Oh, no, I'm is this, What kind of milk is this, by the way? Oh, this is Anderson Erickson milk. Make sure you support local businesses during this time. Uh, AE milk, the best of the best. Um, cream of the crop. Cream of the crop. Amen. Beep it a bop. So, just today, I'm doing our church's five-day Bible reading program, mm -hmm. and we're getting into the book of Joshua, which is a very interesting book because God commands the Israelites in several places to go into the land of Canaan, and especially with certain cities we're about to read about Jericho, God says he wants them to completely wipe out everyone in the city, mm -hmm. women, children, cattle, everything. And it seems pretty... Bad. <laughs> like, uh, I'm not a fan of genocide, and yet it seems like God. Or should you be? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for affirming I'm glad that. Glad that you aren't. <laughs> um, so, why is it okay for God to be telling the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan and basically committing mass genocide uh, for some of these people groups that live there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think you would agree with me that that is a. Uh, a gross misrepresentation as to what is actually going on here. Um, it's God's not commanding genocide. Um, it may seem that way. And uh, uh, I like to answer it using three points. Okay? You ready to rock with me on this one? I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. So point number one, again, understanding uh, that, or starting with the understanding that uh, there is good reason to believe in this Christian God. So you're starting with that presupposition um, uh, because of all those good reasons. And again, like I said, that's kind of a theme for me. Um, you have to remember that God is doing this 1,500, or sorry, 150,000 times a day, right? A thousand or 150,000 people die every single day. And God is in control of that, right? So, I mean, whether it's from old age, like, you know, Abraham, or whether it's from a natural disaster, like um, Job's children, or whether it's from the direct hand of God, like uh, you can think of uh, uh, the Egyptians' firstborn kids, uh, stuff like that. Not just kids, but just their firstborns. Um, that that God God is in control of this because um, death is simply like we've talked about before just the consequence of our rejection of this God right and He is ultimately in control of uh, when and how someone's just sentence is taken out right and uh, uh, Job 
chapter 14, verse 5 says, His days, talking about man, man's days are determined, and the number of his months uh, uh, is with you, that is God, and you, that is God, have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Okay, so the first thing you have to understand about this question is that um, we should never be shocked by people dying, right? I mean, that's inevitable. It's the destiny of everybody, and God is in control of that. Well, the second point um, is that uh, the timing of these uh, uh, people groups in the Old Testament that you're reading about in Joshua and, and uh, really the conquest of Canaan for the most part, uh, when you're reading about that, it's not an off-the-cuff decision. It's not like God's just whimsically saying, yeah, I know these people haven't really been all that bad, but I'm just going to wipe them out for, for no reason. I mean, historically, we can look down the line and um, not just from a biblical account, but historical account that these people groups were, were really horrible people in a sense. Child sacrifice, bestiality, everything that was going on there. Um, and uh, really, essentially, when you're reading the accounts throughout Scripture, you, you actually see a huge hand of God's mercy taking place. Um, if you have ever read Genesis 15, in, uh, I think it's Genesis 15, um, yeah, it is, uh, where, where God is making his covenant with Abraham. Uh, he, he's telling Abraham about the uh, Amorites, this, this one of these people groups that gets wiped out during the conquest. And he's saying, uh, hey, hey, in four generations, in four generations, Abraham, uh, your people are going to wipe out the Amalekites because, quote, their sins have not yet, yet reached its full measure, right? Which means that they had four generations where God was having mercy on them, waiting for them to make a decision about him and come to an understanding of who he is. And uh, uh, they just simply didn't because God historically has always um, been patient, wanting, wanting the world to come to understand who he is. And, and Sodom and Gomorrah is another great example of, you know, uh, um, most people think that Sodom and Gomorrah is just God wiping out, you know, this people group, where if you're actually reading the account in Genesis 18, um, you have Abraham just pleading over the, the city of Sodom and saying, God, if there's 50 righteous people, and God's like, fine, I'll save it if there's 50 righteous people. If there's 45 righteous people, okay, fine, I'll save it if there's 45. And he just keeps on going down the line until Abraham realizes, crap, there's no righteous people in this city. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think what you can take about this is that um, historically, God has always been patient with us, and we don't deserve to live essentially because uh, um, uh, we have rejected this God and this God has every right to wipe us all out the second we do reject him. So the fact that we breathe is an act of mercy in this way. And so you can really, when you're reading through the accounts, see that there is some sort of merciful act going on here. Uh, so that's what I'd say about point number two. But point number three is the essence of the question which is uh, the reason why it's so shocking to us, this passage is so shocking to us, is because God used humans to carry out uh, his, his, his punishment, right? He's, that's not something that we normally see. You know, if, if it's a hurricane or something like that, we can kind of wrap our minds around, okay, well, God may have judged that people by using that, but he used Joshua, um, which obviously is, is very interesting. Um, and the more I think about this question, and especially just in these past couple of days thinking about it, uh, 
there is actually a pretty simple answer, which is good whenever you're coming <laughs> to yeah. a question to have a, a simple answer <laughs> yeah. to actually answer it, uh, which is nice. Um, but something we come across every day, uh, or maybe not every day, but, but oftentimes, even in our own government and in our own judicial system, which is our judicial system, our government carries the sword of justice. Right, so they have the authority to uh, determine um, whether someone deserves a life sentence or deserves uh, capital punishment, you know, the death sentence. Uh, and we don't think much about that, right? Because we get it. We get that there should be a government in place to do that. Um, but if you remember, in Israel's history, uh, there was no, there was, well, well, God was the government. There was no up, upholding government that God had put in place. God was the governor of Israel. He was the king of Israel, especially if you're reading through Joshua. You see these accounts, and especially as you go towards 1 Samuel, you're going to see that it's crazy that they would want any other king except for God, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, he is your king. Uh, and so, essentially, what's going on here is is God is taking a, you can I guess you could think about it as an upfront or a, uh, a uh, more active role in, in using the sword of justice to carry out an action which he deems as, as just. Um, and oftentimes I'll hear somebody say, well, the objection being, there's just no way that everyone in that, in, in that uh, city could have been deserving of you know, punishment. And, all I would say to that is, A, you have, you have no evidence for that at all. You, you couldn't have possibly have any evidence, where, whereas I do have really good evidence going back to the omnibelevolence or the all goodness, the justness of this God. There's hmm. a ton of evidence showing me this. So when I do see this taking place, with all of this accumulative evidence, I can take confidence that whenever God says he's going to wipe out a certain group, it's for right reason. Um, and when you get into the more details, this is kind of here or there, but when you get into the more details, the, there's only a handful of times, there's only a couple situations where he does specifically say women and children. Most of the time it is very general in the sense that go wipe out this city where, you know, obviously you're a Lord of the Rings fan. You can, oh. you can understand historically that I can. whenever anybody knew that a, uh, a, a a army was coming to fight against them, oftentimes the women and children would dip out of the city, yeah. right? So, so a lot of historians or a lot of theologians and historians would believe that it wasn't necessarily the women and children getting wiped out there, but the, the fighting men who stayed to fight. So, yeah. yeah. That's good. I, we were just reading again in the five-day reading plan. I think it was in Deuteronomy where it's, God tells Israel, it's not because of your righteousness that you're going to inherit this land and wipe these people out, yeah. but it's because of their great wickedness. So yeah. We know God thought that what was going on in the land of Canaan with those people yeah. was extremely wicked. It was yeah. extremely pagan. And uh, again, we're going yeah. back to the character of God, his goodness, yeah. his justice. It's not, yeah, because I mean, so many people think, well, it's because this God's a racist God. Like he's, he's just, he really likes Israelites and he hates everyone else. When if you continue again to read through scripture, God flips the script where in Joshua, it's the Israelites coming in to condemn their sin. Where in the rest of the Old Testament, it's the other, it's the other nations coming in to condemn yeah. Israel and God's using them to wipe out the Israelites and, and, uh, Take yeah, it says the, the Israelites committed more evil than right. even the people that were there before them. And so you've got the Babylonians yeah. and the Assyrians and other nations that came in and judged Israel. So yeah. the, they got a dose of their own medicine, I yeah. guess, in that case. <laughs> 
All right, uh, moving on to the next wing. The last three, baby. We're getting to the, the top three in terms no, of got, heat You here. got wing, oh man, I like the wings over the drum. That's okay, I won't complain. Sorry, bud. Ding Too late. Ding. ding, ding, air ding. So this is the Los Calientes Rojo. Um, it's actually a personal favorite of mine. Smoked red jalapeno and uh, habanero peppers. Uh, it's quite, quite scrumptious. Oh, that does taste good. Mm. It's got a nice smoky flavor, you know? I feel like the wise thing to do with hot stuff is to chew it slowly and don't swallow right away because I feel like once you get the heat back in your throat, that's when it gets you. Dude, my lips are really starting to burn. Mm. What about yours? You know, Andrew, I have a wife. She's gorgeous. But I don't want to objectify her just for her beauty. She's a lot more than that. Well done. She likes she likes hot stuff. So I think I'm okay right now. She's, okay. she's trained me well. You're doing well. I'm doing good. That one's good. I actually think that this one might have been a little bit more spicy. Really? Yeah. Well, that could be true. Mild. Um, whatever. Yeah. Are you okay. taking a drink of water? I, I mean... I don't need to, but if you want to take one, I'll take one for your sake. No, I'm oh, Are you I'm sure? Fine. Are you no. sure? Okay. I, just, I mean, you've been doing a lot of talking. Maybe your mouth is dry. No, 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 no. Okay. I just want to take well. your spot because you talk enough for the three of us. Here. Oh, <laughs> the three of us. <laughs> um, Wherever two or more are gathered, God is present. Oh, well done. <laughs> well done. So uh, we, we've just hit on hell a little bit already. Oh. We've mentioned it. But as the heat sort of simmers in your mouth, mm -hmm. it's really, uh, really making me think of hell a lot more. <laughs> and uh, so I think with the smoky heat from the sauce filling our mouths, it's a good time to talk a little bit more about hell. So great. most people envision hell as some sort of like underground torture chamber where like Satan is there torturing all of uh, the bad people for all of eternity. Um, that is a bit of a imperfect caricature of what hell really is. There's a lot of wrong things with that picture. Medieval, maybe. Yeah. So what, what do you think hell is really like? Yeah. Uh, that is actually a question. Um, well, I mean, what is hell really like? I don't think we necessarily have time to go into all the different views of hell, which I will hit on how my view plays a role into uh, the question I'm about to ask. But I think a question that I've been asked a lot lately, maybe not a lot, but seems to be, it seems to have come up multiple times, is uh, not necessarily what is hell like, but why, why is hell eternal? Mm. Right? Why is, why is there an eternal punishment for a temporary rejection of God? I've gotten that question a lot. And um, it's a good question, you know. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't sit here and tell you, oh, I know for sure what hell's gonna be like because hopefully I'll never find out. You know, I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm confident that I won't find out. So I'm not planning on finding out that way. But um, it's a really good question to ask, why, uh, why is the punishment of hell eternal? when the rejection of God is only temporary here on earth. Because again, that just doesn't seem to coincide with what we experience every day uh, on earth. But I think, I think we can uh, again come to understand this question uh, by again examining the character of God. 
right? Again, it's like I said, there's going to be a theme here. You have to, if, if there's good evidence for, a, for the existence of this God, then examining his character is key because that kind of has a trickle-down effect as to how you basically answer all of these questions. Um, so, again, the evidence shows that this is a holy God in every aspect, right? He is a holy, perfect, uh, vastly higher than any being we could ever imagine. Um, and we understand that even here on earth, um, when, when we wrong an individual, uh, the importance of that individual uh, um, plays a big role in, in the punishment, right? So for instance, if I'm, if I'm walking down the street and I see Andrew, walking down the street. And I just say, hey, there's a face that I'd just really like to punch, right? I mean, not that I would ever do that. You wouldn't be the only one. If I did do that, I would punch you. And if there was a cop there, I would get in trouble, right? I'd get in somewhat of trouble. I don't know what that would be, but whatever. I maybe get arrested. Um, If the president of the United States was walking down the street and I were to come up to him and punch him in the face, there would be a vastly different uh, punishment occurring, right? So we understand this even on a human level that uh, the, the, the importance of the individual does play a role in the, uh, in the uh, um, seriousness of the punishment. Okay, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, also, um, when you think about, uh, we understand that the gravity the gravity of the wrong or, you know, the crime, if I'm punching you in the face, the, 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 the gravity of the crime committed is what indicates the length of the punishment, right? The, the, how, how bad it really is indicates how long it will be. Again, so if, uh, if, I, if it only takes me, uh, if I wanted to murder Andrew this time, let's say, shoot him in the head, sorry, but it's <laughs> happening. Okay, if I wanted to do that, okay, it would only take me how long? About two seconds to shoot you in the head, right? Uh, but I wouldn't spend two seconds in prison for that. We would spend a lot longer in prison. So again, the, the gravity of the wrong committed plays a role in the length of the punishment as well. So take into consideration now what, we're, what we've done when we sin against this God. Here is a holy being that we have offended. Uh, and so I think that even just on those two premises, that uh, his importance plays a role in the punishment and his importance plays, his holiness plays a role in the length of the punishment. I think that just simply by those two points, you can, you can surmise uh, that you, it, when you sin or wrong a eternally good God, a ter- eternally holy God, that the punishment could be an eternal one. Um, but I even take it a step further to uh, uh, when it comes to my understanding of what hell is or what hell is actually like, uh, my theology of hell, um, is no, I don't think hell is just like this big torture chamber, you know, where, you know, the devil's just down there prodding you and God's <laughs> just turning up the temperature every century or something like that. Like, I don't think that's what happens. In fact, I think um, rather it's what Jesus says in John 8, uh, 24, where he says that, uh, he's talking to the Pharisees and he says that you will die in your sins. Okay, so this is, this is again, not trying to get too much into the theology of this, uh, this is a lot darker than just physical pain in a sense. He's saying, Jesus is saying that you're going to die in your sins. So when you go to hell, you are going to continually choose your sin over God for all of eternity. 
right? So if you're following that, that also, along with what I just said before, would also uh, um, answer the question as to why hell is eternal. Because even right now, anybody who's in hell is right now choosing their sin over God, rejecting, which would qualify them for hell. So they're like re-upping their punishment right. again and again, day again after day. Yeah. Freely choosing it too. It's not yeah. like God is forcing them to. They're choosing it because they're dead in their sins. Yeah. So I've, I've, uh, I've been reading a little bit on this subject and uh, it's talked about how hell in the Bible is not pictured as some sort of underground torture chamber that's locked from the outside and people can't get out. It's a place outside of God's holy city uh, where people go because they've rejected uh, God's invitation to not go there. Um, And it's more like a coffin that you're latching shut from the inside and locking yourself in rather than God holding you in there. Uh, There's nobody in hell that's like begging God for mercy and saying, hey, let me out, please. I'll trust you. I'll believe in you if you'll just let me out. Uh, We are dead in our sins, as you said, uh, if we die without Christ. And so we are, God is simply allowing us to choose our sin. And that's in a way the most merciful thing he could do. Um, Yeah, so that. Great answer, but I hadn't uh, thought about some of those reasons for the eternality of hell. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, it's. I, what was it? I was going to say something. Um, it's it's like the old classic line that uh, God doesn't. God, we're we're freely choosing this, right? I mean, God's not forcing us into hell. Rather, on the contrary, He's not forcing anyone into heaven. In that sense. Yeah. That's all. Um. So we're going to start venturing into some especially dangerous territory here. This next one is the torchbearer headless horseradish sauce. And you might be thinking horseradish, that's not too bad. Well, the first two ingredients are horseradish and ghost pepper. So since the, uh, the headless part, I guess they're a ghost. I'm ready. I'm ready when um, you are friend. So we've got horseradish and ghost pepper. I see a glob of it right here. I'm going to take a nice bite. Oh yeah. Take it on the spiciest glob. This is not going to be good. I like the flavor. Yeah. I taste the horseradish. I am a big fan of horseradish. I enjoy horseradish too. That's why I got this sauce. You know, Andrew, we have a similar palate, you and I. We do. I remember one time we had, I think it was Hoo Hot. We had just got done probably plowing through three or four plates. That may be an exaggeration. But a handful of food. I mean, just a lot of food. Andrew and I both kind of look at each other. It's like, you know what sounds really good right now? What did I say? Probably ice cream or... No, no, no. Oh, a handful of Skittles. A handful of Skittles. Just a big old glob of candy to add to our full stomachs of noodles and meat. Yep. And you looked at me and you said, that is exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Um, John and I share a very similar palate. We do. We do. We do. So... I was good. I was good. Yeah. Are we going to try and go through this whole thing without drinking anything? I mean, I think My that would... My lips are pretty hot. That would give us some street cred, I no, think. If you could just cry a little bit, it'd be good, too. Yeah, I feel like the kids probably do want us to cry a little bit here. I'll see if I can work some tears up. Yeah. This next... I mean, the Garlic Reaper is absolutely no joke, but... You were in drama, right? I, I was in you were a drama. drama guy. Yep, I was. I was one of those weird drama kids. <laughs> so... Um, my uh, lips are hot. <laughs> yes, my lips are definitely burning. I just speaking is quite painful, actually. Quite painful. Um, 
Speaking of the pain that we're enduring here, uh, leads really naturally into our next question, which is, if we believe that God is a good and a just God and all these things, how could a good God allow suffering like what we're experiencing right now yeah. in our mouths? How could a good God allow suffering to exist? Whew. That is a good question. And as I suffer myself, I will suffer through this question and try and answer <laughs> it for us. Um, I, this is, is the most common question that if you're a Christian, you will be asked, right, at some point in your life. So I think thinking through it, and you can come at this question from a multitude of angles, um, but I think defensively, um, if you don't believe in God, uh, then suffering is something that you should just expect, right? I mean, if this life is nothing but um, a survival of the fittest in this way, then uh, to say that suffering is in any way unjust or wrong is a misrepresentation of your own worldview. So if you do, if you are out there and uh, you do have some sort of objection to suffering and you think that it has... Uh, some hint of, of wrongness or evil to it, I would start off by saying you're well on your way to believing in the Christian God, so keep it up in that way. <laughs> Great. Um, so, and I think you would, you would be among everybody in the world, most people in the world who would say that suffering just doesn't seem right. Uh, now, now, theologically, suffering comes out of um, uh, the fall. So Genesis 3. Um, because when man sinned, uh, we weren't just breaking our relationship with God, we were also breaking our relationship with creation, and that is where, um, you know, disasters and diseases came from. And so in that way, uh, theologically, God can't be blamed for our suffering because ultimately it is our own fault that this happened. Uh, but I think a deeper question is why, why do we desire a world in which there is no suffering? Right? I think that's the deeper question, where so many people out there have this, this, this objection to suffering, and they, they, this is some of their reasons why they don't believe in God, which doesn't make sense according to their own worldview. This is what they should expect. But they have a deep desire within themselves to live in a world which there is no suffering. And I find that very curious. You ask, well, why is that? Why do we have this deep desire, which is nothing that we ever come across in our world. We, we've never experienced in a, a world in which there is no suffering, a world in which everything is perfect in a sense. Why do we have this sense within us, this deep ingrained sense? Uh, and I, I think that, I have to quote my boy C.S. Lewis here, I named my daughter after him. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, Your boy. Uh, my boy. Your boy, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great man. Uh, he would call these things hints to, uh, uh, or clues to the meaning of the universe. So you can think about these things as like, every human has this desire, this, this deep desire for uh, a suffer less world. I don't know if that's a word. I might have just made that one up too. A perfect world. And he actually says famously, I love this quote, I wrote it down. When the world you live in does not satisfy your deepest longings or desires, the most logical explanation is that you were created for another world, right? So mm. that we have this deep desire for a perfect world. And that is his argument that that's been ingrained inside of us uh, because we know uh, intuitively that we were created for 
a perfect world being a world with God, right? And that's obviously theologically accurate, biblical, uh, where God created humans to be in a relationship with him. So it would make sense that we as humans walk around with this deep desire to, uh, to restore this relationship, to go back to the way that we were intended to be, which is in a perfect relationship with God. Uh, and so in a way, you could answer the question, uh, why, why would God allow suffering uh, to point out that if we are, if, if, if someone is so blindly obsessed with this unsatisfying world that they live in um, and God allows them to suffer in order to knock them off the pedestal of that misrepresentation and to get them to realize that it's actually God that's the ultimate satisfaction. It's God that's the, uh, that's their, that's what they're actually chasing after. Uh, then uh, you can, you, you have a really good argument for saying that the reason uh, or, or you have a really good argument for saying that it's the most loving thing for God to do would mm. be to allow you to suffer. So you kind of flip it on its own head there. Yeah, that really helps you think about even our own current situation with the coronavirus in a whole new light where you're thinking, okay, what if God was using all the suffering here to help draw people to himself? Yeah. And then e even with all of the bad things that are happening, uh, if God was using that to point people to himself as being their ultimate hope, that would be the most loving thing to do. Yep. So that's really good. Yeah. Well. well I, here, oh. go, go ahead. No, no, mention the sauce. You mention the sauce. Okay. I have a suggestion, so don't eat your wing yet. Okay. So we, we've endured quite the gauntlet of sauces <laughs> here, and there's just one sauce left. This is the Torchbearer Garlic oh. Reaper sauce uh, with Carolina Reaper peppers. Um, and uh, this sauce is absolutely no joke, but we're gonna continue the Hot Ones tradition of putting a little oh, extra. I was gonna suggest that. Of putting that a little good. extra on the last wing. Oh man. So uh, we're gonna do our own little last dab here. You, dab, you, you don't wanna dab me? Are you sure, bud? Yeah, you don't you wanna control. What? Put more on it. Pour, oh. pour it. That's what they want. Give the kids that's, what they want, That's Andrew. what the people want. Well, oh. this is going to be incredibly painful. Okay, so I'll just eat, just eat where you have the sauce. That's the fine. The whole thing. <sighs> I'm, <laughs> my hands are going to be shaking. I'm, I'm nervous about this. <laughs> it's the okay. last question, then, man. Yeah, go this all is, out. This is, go all out. All, okay, all or nothing, baby. Hold on. Let me, let me adjust my wing a little bit here so I can get a better bite. Yeah, what I if have it a lot splatters of in my eye? I should have put it right there. Who poured this? My goodness. What an idiot. Okay. Um, you ready? So, we're ready. Ding. 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 Last one. Do it for the kids. Do it for the turnip. Oh. oh, my. That was so much sauce. I don't think I've ever had that much at one time. Don't <laughs> swallow. Oh, the swallowing's worse. Woof. The swallowing is where it gets you. The more you swallow, the more the pepper goes down your throat. Oh. Well, I just... <coughs> Whoever takes a drink first loses. Bud! <coughs> oh, man. I can tell the hiccups are coming soon. Oh, man. <coughs> that was... Don't cough. The coughing's the worst part. I'll spread my corona to you. Oh, my tongue. Ha! Uh-oh. Uh. 
Oh, John, drink your milk. Oh, we got another question. Oh. Okay. Okay. One dip on the finger. No. <laughs> oh, I've got to blow my nose, but I'm scared. Oh, no, I got. Ha. Huh. Okay. <laughs> we. <laughs> With your senses, just take on a drink, fire, Andrew. But take a drink for the love of all. I got a question to answer. Uh, okay, with your mind a fog and your senses on fire. Oh, I can barely speak. Oh, it's so painful. Uh, I have one more question, perhaps the most important question of all. As Christians, is it okay? for us to believe in aliens. Oh man, this is important. <laughs> Don't screw this up. Let's take a drink together. Okay. Milk. Milk. Mmm. Oh. Oh, like warm milk to cool down a mm. hot mouth. Mm. Oh, God bless you, ate you dairy. <laughs> Oh my goodness, mm. is, this, is this Land of Lakes? Mm. <laughs> oh wow, that was extraordinarily painful. I might be safe. <coughs> nope. Okay, Whew. aliens. Ha! Oh Jesus, ah, just chucking stuff everywhere. Yourself. Mm. Oh my goodness. Mm. <laughs> this is so hot. It's not cooling down at all. <laughs> you don't want to drink the water and make it worse. I think the water's cooler though. Mm. Kind of just temper the or temperature. Just keep about. it in there makes it so much better. Well, you have to answer the question. I'll keep it okay, in. Okay. You you leave it out and burn your tongue off. Mm. Huh. Man, the lips are back. The, the aliens. The yeah. Aliens. Can we believe in aliens? Can you believe in aliens? Oh mm. my goodness. This has been a question that honestly I've had to answer more than I more than I care to answer lately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is about some people and their obsession with aliens, but some people I gotta take it in wrong. <laughs> mm. I don't know, this may surprise some people, but I have no problem with aliens. No problem as a Christian. Um, now let me explain. Let me explain. <laughs> if by aliens you mean a creature that is not created in the image of God, like humans. So humans, I do believe, are distinct in God's creation. They are created in the image of God, and which means they have a will. They have uh, the ability to philosophize. They have it hurts the sides of your mouth. Yeah, it's bad, man. The tongue. They have the ability to 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 choose to uh, to love uh, to create again. So these are in, these are unique characteristics that God has given humans uh, that are uh, in the image of God in that way. So I've never I've never really understood. I don't think it's likely that there are uh, different. Um, uh, living creatures on a distant galaxy somewhere. I don't think it's likely, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think that they would be more like dogs than they would to humans in that sense, that there is some sort of creation out there. I don't find anything theologic, theological that would 
contradict that. Uh, simply by saying the Bible doesn't tell us is not a good answer because the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of things. And it tells about quantum physics, but that's true. You know, so, I mean, God is not, wasn't God's intention to tell us every single little detail. So it wouldn't surprise me. Again, I mean, even just the universe in general, we had no idea that other galaxies existed because the Bible didn't really necessarily tell us about them, but they clearly exist. Uh, so that's obviously not a problem for Christianity. And so I have no problem uh, uh, with aliens existing. I do think it's an interesting question because, um, because, uh, even, even an atheist would recognize that it is, it is numerically, it's a numerical impossibility, what they would say. It's obviously not impossible because we're here, but it's numerically, which means it's so unlikely that mathematicians just write it off as basically impossible. It's basically impossible for us to exist, right? That's what one of the arguments for design, uh, for fine-tuning of the universe, that it's, it's numerically impossible that we exist, yet humans do exist, which is remarkable, right? I mean, we obviously, I'm really glad that we exist, yeah. right? Part of God's design in that way, really glad. What is very interesting to me, though, is that if we have hit the cosmic jackpot of all jackpots by existing as humans, why do we, you often hear people say that it's, it's not just likely, but it's inevitable that there are other species out there somewhere. And my, my response is, and this may be me just being ignorant, because I'm not a mathematician, I'm not a, I'm not a physics major or anything like that, uh, so it may just be my ignorance speaking, but I've just never understood it. Like, if we have hit the jackpot of all jackpots, why would we assume that other planets have also hit the jackpot of all jackpots? That doesn't seem like, it takes the definition away of being really on, you know, uh, hitting a jackpot is unlikely. But if everyone's hitting the jackpot, then it's not unlikely, right? It's, it's yeah. normal in that way, so I don't know. Well, John, we I'm made it through now. the gauntlet. I'm good. Really? My mouth it still really hurts. Huh. But out of all the sauces, what was your favorite? My favorite, my favorite, oh. I liked, I liked the taste. I like the taste of all three of these. Mm. These were good tasting. I found the horseradish very pleasing as well. It is spicy though. Yeah. The Reaper had no taste, just fire. Yep, just, just. pure fire in my mouth. <laughs> yep. Again, very similar uh, palette there. I mean, good. this one is just too normal, normal for me. And then I really like the flavor of all yeah. three of these. Yeah. Once you get to here, I still like the flavor of this, yeah. but the heat starts to become like not worth the flavor. And then with this one, obviously, I just, wow. Yeah. So we want to hear from you guys now. Um, what, what questions do you wish we would have asked during this interview? Jared and I may answer some of those. We are thinking of maybe even doing this again sometime. So if we do, who do you want to see us interview next? Pastor Pat. Who should be our next Hot Ones <laughs> guest? And, um, and, uh, who should we invite to future episodes? What questions do you wish that we would have asked? And uh, yeah, thank you. Big shout out to Hot Ones, the real show. Yeah. Uh, this that was an inspiration for this uh, this episode. I completely regret trying it. Wow. And they go even spicier than that on there. So oh, yeah. don't forget to follow us on social media. Uh, like and share this video with your friends. Uh, subscribe to our Sailorville Students YouTube channel. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. 
uh, and all that as well. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, drop a like, a comment. We'd love to hear from you guys. See you guys. Ha. Ah. That was good. That was, wow. Was it entertaining? Good. Well, that last one was, I mean, it's because we dumped a load of sauce basically right on our tongue. There was no mixing it in the meat at all. So I've tried these all plain and they're much hotter when you don't have the wing with them too. So like even this one, yeah, I had this just on like some rice earlier this week and I was, it was pretty spicy, but I think, I don't know if it was just, we didn't get as much sauce on them or just the nature of the chicken with it kind of cooled it down a little bit. But we were totally fine up until we yeah. hit here. And so no, I thought, I man, we gotta, too. if we wanna have any sort of reaction whatsoever, I, we better go ham on this last one, so. That's what uh, I was already thinking. No I was regrets. Like, we better pour it on then. No something. regrets. <laughs> Maybe if we do it again, I'll get one that's even spicier. Oh, but then I would have to take it. <laughs> but more in this range would be.